This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Duncan the First! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Ahoy! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots, from Kenneth McAlpin to James VI. Now, before we get going on this episode, um, I'm going to do something which I should have done several weeks ago, but forgot to do. Yeah. Um, as people who followed us on Twitter on Facebook uh, will probably recall, I went to Scotland you did. the uh, yeah. holiday. Yeah. I brought back something for myself and for Ali, which yes. I've failed every episode since to <laughs> actually provide. Um, some traditional... Scottish. Some Scottish hats. Tartany hats. A bonnet. Well, I've got I've got a lovely jaunty red one. Yeah. Have you taken out the little card that tells you no, I what, uh, what it is? I've hidden that in my head. So, I've got the Stuart Royal for all you Tartan fans out there. Mm. Well, there's a lot of heritage in this. I've got, uh, in contrast, uh, the Black Watch Oh yeah, colours. So, while Ali's, as you'll see if you go on Twitter and Facebook, we'll post uh, pictures. So, Ali's is uh, sort of red and various coloured Tartan. Mine... Oh, that is lovely. Slightly darker. Very nice. Sort of green, blue. You see, you've put yours on well. Yeah, I've put it down at the side, where have you just sort of gone Mine like... just looks... I look like uh, one of those things that gives you a boost in Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> that's no good at all. Oh, yeah, I see. Okay, well, I'm going to wear it for the, for yeah, the well, duration. Yeah, we'll wear it for the duration. So, as we said, we are doing this week Duncan the First, and this is probably the first Duncan? Scottish monarch we've done. Well, it's certainly the first yeah. Duncan that we've done. It's probably the first Scottish monarch we've done in this series that I reckon most people listening will have heard of. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, we've been a bit obscure. And the reason for that, of course, is that he is featured in a play by Shakespeare, mm. which therefore means he's important. He's remembered forever. Exactly. Now, he doesn't have his own play, sadly. He appears in the play Macbeth. Um, so, Duncan in Macbeth is the king at the start of mm. the play. Um, now, we won't go too much into Shakespeare, because we'll save that for when we actually do Macbeth himself. Right. So that's when we really dig in. But just to give a little overview, this is what many of you will probably be expecting. Mm. So a quick mm. bit about Shakespeare and Macbeth and Duncan. Shakespeare probably used um, Ralph Hollinshead's 1587 Chronicles of England, Scotland and Ireland as the basis for a lot of his history plays, including uh, Macbeth. Now, in the play... Duncan is a good, kind, much-loved old king. Old, though. Old king. He yeah. rules um, Scotland very well. There's peace and stability. He's quite a fatherly figure mm. to Macbeth, who is his sort of leading general. Mm. And he promotes him. He gives him um, good encouragement. But Macbeth, after being visited by three witches and encouraged by a scheming wife, Lady Macbeth, mm. murders Duncan in his sleep. And he's, and he's fine with that, isn't he? He doesn't have any problems... Uh, 
he being in this case Macbeth yes not Duncan, Duncan yeah, yeah. he's not five would have resisted yeah. the idea he, he has been put to he doesn't have any any repercussions from this at all yeah so Duncan sort of represents moral order in society so mm. killing Duncan is this awful act which sort right. of throws everybody into turmoil so people thus are probably expecting uh, a long reigning and ultimately elderly man kind yeah. good subjectivity yeah. all that sort of stuff exactly we'll find out whether or not that is actually okay. the case right in history does this bring us on to what does he look like well we might as well jump straight to that mm. let's have a little look are you expecting well a man of shakespeare uh i am expecting a elderly gent uh i'm going red tartan like this grey of beard wizened crooked no weapon Hara oh forget that uh we've got uh green green all in one actually it's rather nice and large boots a spear a uh, happy young man i mean it looks quite a lot like a fisherman i mean there may be a little hint of graying in the hair and the beard i don't know why i said fisherman <laughs> spear fisherman I think I was just thinking words that associate with spear well I suppose you know he doesn't have on a sort of a big kingly thing no. um, there's nothing like chain mail or anything massive but it's completely the opposite to what I thought he's quite a quite a happy chap isn't he yeah but he clearly isn't um, a haggard old no so and so so and so yeah so we don't know as ever when he's born mm. however he is almost certainly not an old man as king so ever he doesn't... Well, we'll, see. well, in terms of, you know, he comes to the throne, he's not this old man when all of these events are taking place. Mm. Shakespeare just invents that, basically. He's described by the Owls of Tigernach as being at an immature age. So the complete opposite. Complete opposite. I mean, that pr- he probably isn't, like, a child, which right. that might imply. Mm. But he must be probably somewhere between his 20s and his 30s when he becomes king. OK. I mean, he's still got a mighty fine beard, which, well... I was about really? to say, which would take some time, then I looked at you and you've got a mighty fine beard. He looks older than me. Yes. He, he, he may be older than you, he may be about the same age as you, but he's okay. certainly not an old man. Now, he's the son of Crinan, who is the lay abbot of Dunkeld, and Betok, who is the eldest daughter of Malcolm II. So, right. in terms of the family tree, Duncan is the grandson of last time monarch Malcolm II. And what happened to all his... Why have we missed that generation then? Um, The problem for Malcolm was that he didn't have any sons. Oh, yes. Only had daughters. And he wanted to get rid of this system where you alternate the succession between different strands of the family. He wanted, like his father had wanted, to keep it father to son. Yeah. But that comes a bit of a cropper when you don't actually have any Any sons. sons, So rather than give in and let one of his slightly distant relatives take the throne instead he marries his daughters off to notable people mm. and then with the hope that they will produce sons and thus he can give the throne to his grandson yeah next best thing exactly yeah. so Duncan is the eldest son um, as said of Crenan and of Betok his eldest grandson and he is named as um, Malcolm II's uh, heir to, Scot- to Scotland to Scotland but we don't there was never any inkling that it might perhaps have gone to his daughter. The idea of a queen was still no. too outrageous. Yeah, and I think particularly Scotland, even more than England, it's so sort of based on fighting and leading the army mm. because they are always fighting. At Less this settled, right. Yeah. Less settled than England, so you really do have to be at the forefront mm. leading an army. Um, but he said he did have other grandchildren, so his second um, daughter married Sigurd the Stout, who was the <laughs> Earl of Orkney. Right. And uh, they had a son, Thorfinn the Mighty. These are brilliant. I mean, yeah. 
And it's possible that a third daughter, or maybe a second daughter remarrying, marries Finlay of territory in Scotland called Murray, and that thus Macbeth, their child, and so would also be a grandson of Malcolm II. So we've got three cousins, basically, Duncan I, Thorfinn the Mighty, and Macbeth. Yeah. So they're all of about the same age, same generation, okay. all grandsons of Malcolm II. Mm. Now, the problem for Malcolm II was that it's quite unusual for the throne to pass down through the female line. Mm. So there was going to be opposition from the people on the other side of the Alpin family. And also he'd got this rival territory in Murray, which was quite rebellious. Yeah. So they were going to kick off, and indeed they kind of link together through marriage and rebel against him. With Macbeth, did they make the link up with Macbeth? Uh, well, prior marriage? to Macbeth, right. we had Finlay, and then we had these his nephews, Gilcom Gain yes. and another Malcolm. So basically there's lots and lots of fighting going on in Scotland where Malcolm II just tries to kill off every notable Scottish royal male yeah. that isn't one of his grandchildren yeah, and he with the hope of the succession. Phenomenally successful, though. He really is. He really does wipe out pretty much... Um, all of them. Unfortunately, um, it comes a bit of a cropper with two events. One is Gilcomgain of Murray marrying Gruach, who is of the Alpin family, mm. and they have a son called Lullock, which yeah. means that you've got somebody who could be in the territory of Murray, somebody who's got a claim to the Scottish throne, thus he links Murray and rival bits Really of good position to tie it all together. And then after Gilcomgain is killed, Macbeth marries this same group yeah. and becomes foster father in effect to Lullock. Now there certainly is opposition it seems um, to Malcolm's scheme. Apparently in 1027 um, there was a really bad attack on Dunkeld which is this sort of centre of religious life mm. in Scotland and also Queen Anne being the late abbot of Dunkeld it's fair to assume that Duncan himself may actually have been there at the time. Right, okay. Not killed but nevertheless it shows that they may have been targeting him. Mm. So that's partly why I guess Malcolm goes and starts killing people off. We also have the fact that in 1034, when Malcolm II dies, there are accounts which state that he was killed, or rather he died of his wounds, after an ambush in Murray. Yeah. Which may suggest again that his enemies tried to attack him. Mm-hmm. In which case, it's very important that he was said to have won the encounter. So even though he dies afterwards, the fact that he wins, effectively wrong-foots his enemies and gives his people time to get around Duncan, make sure that he's crowned, and there can't be any kind of coup d'etat. Right, because he won, even though he survived, even though it was just a week as well, it's like, he didn't die from that, he survived yes. that, he won that, I'm just dying, that's just what I did. Whereas if they'd all been killed in the battle, then yeah. they'd have run off and go, right, we've killed Malcolm, let's get this guy on the throne, yeah. and Duncan's okay. got to catch up. Mm. So indeed, only five days um, after Malcolm dies, Duncan is inaugurated at Schoon. Mm. Classic. Um, classic. Um, so, as we said, that implies that probably led by his father, Crenan, as this powerful um, figure mm-hmm. in Dunkeld, they want to make sure it just happens very, very quickly so there's no opposition. They get in there first yeah. and everything's sorted. Um, it's notable, actually, that Duncan, although not the son of Malcolm II, as the grandson, this is the first time in the Scottish royal history that we have actually had the throne pass in the direct line. Even if it missed one out. In fact, that's better. Mm. It's, it's, it's survived a generation. Exactly. Yeah. So it didn't go to this cousin or the third cousin yeah. or the brother or the nephew. It went from grandson, grandfather to grandson. Yeah. Right. Well, he's done. I mean, did we give Malcolm points for that? I think we did give Malcolm some points for that. And it's noticeable that Duncan does accede to the throne. There doesn't appear to be any immediate opposition to mm. him either. Okay. So it does seem to work out for Malcolm's plan. However, it's not an auspicious start for Duncan after this happens. He's visited by a delegation from Ireland. 
yeah. who wanted some monks who want to come along and pay their respects to the new king. But uh, on their return home, over 30 of them, these monks, are drowned at sea. Oh, so they see that as an omen. And not only are they drowned, but um, Columba's fan. His fan? As in, uh, I... Well, I mean, I, to be honest, I really don't. <laughs> not a uh, not, not a someone with his face and a t-shirt. Yeah. some okay. kind of thing to keep his relics cool. I don't know. Right. Oh, awesome. um, and also three relics of Saint Patrick. And what all, happens then? They all, all get lost. All get lost with the with the monks. Okay. Let's see. Problems. So not the most auspicious mm. of starts. However, the next few years, there's not really an awful lot from 1034 to 1038 in the Scottish Chronicles or the Irish Chronicles and mm. English Chronicles, which suggests that nothing much was going on. Really? But there's, so far, the history of Scotland has been battle, 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 dead, battle, 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 dead, battle, 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 dead, nothing because there's no history. And there's someone yes. says, he ruled for this period of time. Is it what? But that's normally because they then die it's it's possible of course that there's there are events well I mean it's certain that there are events that aren't recorded because yeah. we assume they didn't just sit for four years going well I suppose we might as well just <laughs> anyone that do any kinging <laughs> nah not really um, but it also implies that Duncan's accession is free from challenge that there aren't major rebellions there, are, there aren't major battles yeah. that everything's kind of okay it's just sort of Moving I can't on. believe that. that. Maybe so. It did work tying the regions together. Well, it seems maybe yeah, it did because, as you say, we've got Thorfinn who's rule trying to rule Orkney and sort of the top bits of Scotland. We've got mm. Macbeth possibly in Murray. We've got Duncan in Scotland. If they are all cousins, yeah, maybe they're all just kind of getting on for the moment. Yeah, and right. it's all right. Okay, well done, Duncan. The main area where things do start to happen, however, is our old favourite Northumbria. Yeah, now, we, this at the moment is Scottish? Well, it, well bits of it are Scottish, bits okay. of it are English, and bits of it are kind of being up for grabs a little bit. As a reminder of what we've been doing in Northumbria, since, so it used to be the sort of Anglo-Saxon kingdom, mm. where we've got a northern bit called Benicia, a southern bit called Deira, and when they f- were forged together as one kingdom, Northumbria was incredibly, incredibly powerful, but then... It falls apart a bit, and then the Scots have been picking at it from the north, the Saxons have been picking mm. at it from the south, the Vikings were kind of in there in York as well. Mm. So we've still got a battle going on to really pick over the remnants okay. of what's left. Now, in England, we had Canute. Oh, yes, of course we do. Yeah. So he was king from 1016 to 1035, very, very powerful, had a North Sea empire, and when Malcolm II had a victory mm. in Carum, which is sort of on the Tweed, he and Canute seem to have some kind of dispute in which presumably they agree the borders again. Mm. Which we sort of saw as a victory for Malcolm, because he stood toe-to-toe with him. Not a defeat, mm. probably. Um, so that's what the last thing that happened. We've got the border sort of on the Tweed, basically. So everything north of that is Scottish, everything south of that is English. Mm. Now, Canute dies in 1035... And then England falls into a bit of division between Canute's two sons. Oh, yeah. So we had, had Harold Harefoot and mm. half the Canute. Mm. And they have this little battle as to which one of them is going to be king. Yeah. Now, as we will recall from Malcolm II, when he was going to Northumbria, was when Ethelred the Unready was king and yeah. was getting all the Viking raids. Yeah. So basically, when England suffers divisions, the Scots king thinks, ha ha, this is Time. my chance to take Northumbria. Yeah, sense. 
Exactly. So, good chance here for Duncan. Now, in terms of Northumbria, things are actually a little bit complex here. There's something of a power struggle going on. Now, Malcolm II, when he failed to capture Durham, he was defeated by a man called Uhtred the Bold. Now, he was Earldman of all of Northumbria, but when he is killed in 1016 by a Viking called Thurbrand the Hold, Brilliant. on Canute's orders, Northumbria seems to split up. In terms of who is in charge, it goes back into its sort of smaller areas, because they still have these sort of regional earls or people that are in charge, yeah. but they've had quite a short life expectancy. <laughs> it's fact. like being a Mexican mayor or something. <laughs> it really is. So we have... The descendants of Uhtred the Bold, who are controlling the northern bits of Benicia, and then we've got somebody else in York, which is the more southern bit of Northumbria. We also have a bit of a blood feud. So Uhtred the Bold, as we said, was murdered by the Viking Thurbrand the Hold in 1016. The eldest son of Uhtred, Eldred II of Bamba, takes over. Now, he continues the blood feud, avenges his father, and kills Thurbrand soon after becoming ruler. So they've had eye for an eye now. Yeah, everything yeah. should be fine. Yeah. However, in 1038, he himself is murdered by Thurbrand's son, Carl. Your serve. It's presumably <laughs> what he said as he plunges the knife in. So the new ruler is Edwulf III of Bamba. So he's the brother of Eldred, second son of Uhtred, and in 1038 he is in charge of Benicia. However, things are looking a little bit tricky for him. Further south, as we said, York is now ruled um, by somebody separate, and the most powerful man who is now coming to prominence in this area is a chap called Seward. Called what now? Seward. Seward. Mm, who mm. will also be a familiar name for people familiar with Macbeth. Mm. And it is the same one. He is a Danish ally of Canute, and later half of Canute. According to the sagas, he came to Canute's court after killing a dragon in Orkney. That's a good CV. Then another one somewhere in Northumbria. Another dragon? Another dragon in Northumbria, Sneaky before world. Odin gave him a raven banner and sent him to London. Right. Which is a hell of a recommendation. Isn't it? <laughs> I've got... Do you have any references, sir? <laughs> one or two? Yeah, one or two. Look at the banner, sir. I should say so. <laughs> so, Seward is... A man who's uh, popular, obviously, at the English court, but he also makes an alliance in Scotland because Duncan marries Seward's sister. So thus we've got an alliance between Duncan in Scotland and Seward in York. So Edwulf in Bamba, in Benicia, he's surrounded now. He's got the Scots above, Seward below, those are allies, he's surrounded. So the whole thing stinks of opportunity for our man Duncan. Here. Exactly. So in 1038, things get real. Edwulf launches um, an attack on the Kingdom of Cumbria. Now, we remember in previous episodes, we've always had a sort of a separate kingdom. This is Cumbria Strathclyde, so it's sort of northwest England, southwest Scotland. They've kind of been subservient to the King of Scots, but still existing as a separate kingdom. Last time, however, it seems that the last King of Strathclyde, or Cumbria, Owen um, the Bold, was killed in 1018, fighting alongside Malcolm, the Battle of Carham. So it's quite possible that Duncan is now effectively, if not dominant in Cumbria and Strathclyde, actually ruling it as part of his kingdom. Consequently, this is in effect an attack on Duncan's territory. So he, this, the guy in the middle is now pushing north, and Duncan then, after his four years of sabbatical, mm. pushes is going to push south. Yes, yeah, and it's thought that... Whoa, that was my elbow. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, oh. God, that was, I didn't think there was any scandal there, but my <laughs> arm obviously thought so. 
So Duncan's got an ally in York. He's had his territory attacked by the guy in the middle. 1040, Duncan let's makes go. his move. Yeah, let's see how battly you are. Exactly. So Duncan, seemingly sharing Malcolm's ambition to move that border with England further south, he also shares that uh, interest in Durham. Oh, I thought you were going to say killing. Well, I mean, I assume that he's going to want to do a bit of killing mm. at some point. So Duncan, like Malcolm II in 1006 and 1006, <laughs> tries to capture the new and prosperous city of Durham. Uh, which was founded last episode. Founded last episode. And also like Malcolm II, he marches on Durham, is routed and forced to uh, make mm. a hefty retreat. Right. It's unsuccessful. It's not good. Right, not doing well. Now, when we did Malcolm II and he had that defeat, we pointed out how fortunate Malcolm was that he didn't really have any particularly strong rivals at that time that might have challenged him for the throne. Yeah. Because this is early in Duncan's reign. It's maybe the first big military expedition that we've noted. It's certainly an early one. Presumably others may have been forgotten. Losing a battle like that is going to have an impact on your reputation. Yeah, so if you've got someone who thinks they've got a claim, now would be a good time. And unfortunately for Duncan, unlike Malcolm II, Duncan does have mm. significant people that might pose a bit of a threat. In particular, the region of Murray. Oh uh, yeah, these tricky chappies. Now, we've mentioned this, and um, we sort of looked at Murray in a little bit more detail in the last episode, but just to recap, it's this slightly uncertain territory. It's kind of central eastern Scotland. Mm. It's not quite clear whether it's a region like an earldom in effect, which has somebody that's in charge of it, but they are technically subservient to the King of Scots, mm. or if it actually considers itself as a separate kingdom with its own kings. It seems to, from the way it's been trying to knock the other kings off. Exactly, it certainly seems to. And currently the person who is ruling in Murray is Macbeth. Yes, of course it was. Now yeah. Macbeth, as you said, is possibly Duncan the First's cousin. He is thus a grandson of Malcolm II, and he thus has a bit of a claim to the Scottish throne. Yeah, the whole tying together business. And if that's not good enough, his wife, Gruach, has a claim to the... a link to the Scottish throne, because she's descended as well from Kenneth McAlpin. So their son... Lullock. Not Mount Macbeth's son, but he's being stepfather and... Yeah. ...supporting thus, again, yeah. very strong claim. So Duncan would have seen Macbeth as a threat. Definitely. Now, we don't know whether Macbeth actually leads some kind of uprising, if he's planning to lead it... Or if Duncan just thinks, you know what, probably is going to happen, he's probably going to kick off. So Duncan decides to be proactive about this and sort it out before the battle comes to him. And by sort it out... We mean go up to Murray chop his head off. and kill Macbeth. Right, let's go! So Duncan goes up to, uh, to Murray, fought a battle um, at a place which is called Pict Gaveni, somewhere sort of between Elgin and the Murray Firth. Duncan... Mm is not killed in his bed, as in Shakespeare, Yeah, but he is killed by Macbeth in battle. That's very bad. I mean, bad in that I've also painted in my mind Macbeth as... Well, as Macbeth. Not <laughs> He's not in battle. Mm. So it wasn't... Well, I'm looking forward to reviewing Macbeth now Indeed, to see, yeah. see how this pans out. But mm. really, Duncan, that's not very good at all. I'd wipe that smile off your face, <laughs> Mr. Seven of Spades. But that spear to good use. Hmm. Battleliness! Well, in uh, in Duncan I's favour mm. here, it, he does like his grandfather, Malcolm II. He has this plan to annex Durham, Venetia. He's clearly ambitious. Yeah. He takes the fight to Durham, mm. and then he 
even though he loses really, really badly, <laughs> straight afterwards he's like, well, I better go off to Murray and kill if, Macbeth then. If you can't, if you, you know, what's the trying, trying and trying again and something? <laughs> yeah. The first you don't succeed, that's the one. Yeah. Or my other quote that I think is um, pertinent here is by the venerable Mike Tyson. <laughs> Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yes. And I think that's exactly what happens to Duncan here. And Duncan's plan was to go and get punched in the face again. Repeatedly, yeah. So, you know, we give him a certain amount of credit for his enterprise, for his ambition. For he's clearly not afraid of a fight. No. I mean, he should have been. But, mm. Mm. but, on the other hand, things don't go quite so well. Mm. Now, in addition to Shakespeare, we're also going to introduce another um, entirely dubious source into Good. the mix here. They're my faves. A saga. Oh, I love a saga. A bit of a Viking saga. Do they write about him? Well, that is the person in question. Yes. Now, the saga in question here is the Orkneyinger saga. The Orkney saga? Effectively, yes, the Orkney saga, about all the earls and rulers of Orkney, who are all Viking. And in particular, at this point, we're going to focus on Thorfinn the Mighty. Obviously. Who is, of course, another cousin of Duncan I. Yeah. So... Thorfinn, Duncan's cousin, son of Earl Sigurd and Betok, who is Malcolm mm. II's daughter. When Sigurd died in 1014, Orkney was split between Sigurd's elder sons. Meanwhile, Malcolm II pushes so that Thorfinn gets control of, sort of Caithness and Sutherland, which is on the northern bit of mainland Scotland. Effectively broadening his power up there too. Exactly, so he's got his man in position. Mm. Um, as Thorfinn gets older, he challenges his brothers. He wants to have more a land in Orkney and yeah. gradually he gets more and more until he is effectively ruling yeah it's his gaff and um, we've got a description from the saga mm-hmm. of uh, <laughs> Thorfinn he was unusually tall and strong an ugly looking man with a black head of hair sharp features a big nose and busy eyebrows maybe bushy a forceful <laughs> man greedy for fame and fortune he did well in battle for he was both a good tactician and full of courage well, sounds scary. Sounds Viking-y. He does. Now, why is any of this relevant to Duncan I? Well, according to the saga, Thorfinn, after the death of his grandfather, i.e. Malcolm II, yeah. he gets challenged um, around his uh, control of Caithness. Which is on just on the mainland. Well, on the mainland, by the new Scottish king. So the new Scottish king comes in and is said to want um, Thorfinn to give him tribute for it. And Thorfinn's like, no, this is mine. And that new Scottish king is Duncan. Well, the name of this king, according to the saga, is Carl Hunderson. Well, there can't be any confusion there. They've just got the wrong man. Well, they've clearly got the wrong man. And there's no, and you know, scholars looked into it, and there's no one really that Carl Hunderson could be, you know, an alias of or a different way of, etc. It's someone called Carl Anderson who was asked (laughs) on the phone what their name was, and they panicked and said, Carl Hunderson. <laughs> He's it, pretending it, to be the king. Yeah, well, it doesn't sound anything like Duncan. So what we're thinking is, is there somebody in Scotland who was ruling a territory a bit like Murray, maybe yeah. a provincial leader who may or may not have considered himself a king, and thus the saga say, oh, yeah, the king of Scots came along, whereas actually it's just yeah. some guy. Just some random guy. Or maybe they've just got completely the wrong name, but it is actually Duncan, because it does explicitly state king of St- Scots all the way through. And the scale of the enterprise that we're about to look into does certainly imply that it needs to be someone of that stature rather than just a small provincial leader. But people would know who the King of Scotland was it, at this time. I mean, they didn't have Twitter, but you'd, you'd the name would get about. Well, I mean, the sa- so the saga is written in sort of 
twelve hundreds or so, I think. So it is written, you know, it's written later. I'd, I'd give, I'd understand that if they called him Donkum, <laughs> but not Carl Anderson. It's like saying someone in two hundred years saying, oh, you know, you know, Queen Marjorie Gertrude, meaning Elizabeth. It's madness. Well, anyway, we'll uh, we'll consider whether or not we get too much credit to any of this, but. This is what apparently happens. Um, the King of Scots decides he's got to get rid of Thorfinn the Mighty and he wants to install his Earl, Muthan, yeah. Mudan, um, up there in Caithness instead. So, Duncan, presumably... Carl Anderson. Carl Anderson, uh, brings 11 ships wow. and goes around up to the top and engages Thorfinn in a naval battle off Deerness. In- I mean that is like that's the uh, that's the uh, war power of a state. Well, exactly, which is why you think well, that's got to be King yeah. of Scots, really. Savage fighting, mm. leading to uh, pretty bad Scottish losses. At one point, uh, Thorfinn apparently his boat gets alongside Duncan's, and Thorfinn leaps on, brings his army with them, and Duncan has to jump off and swim to another boat in order to be able to make his retreat before Whoa. Thorfinn can take him out. So he loses that one as well? So he loses that one. Um, This is a quote from Thorfinn's poet, Arnor. Mm -mm. Ships grappled together, gore as foes fell, bathed stiff iron, black with Scots blood, singing the bow spilt blood, steel bit, bright though the quick point quaked, no quenching Thorfinn. That is gruesome. So it's uh, certainly implying a bit of uh, butchering of the a Scots route. at this point. Um, Undeterred uh, by this, Duncan heads back, retreats and starts raising another army. Meanwhile, Thorfinn sends his ally, Thorkel the Fosterer. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes up to Caithness and ambushes uh, the Earl, Muthan. To try and foster some support. Um, sorry, what about Try to foster some support. Oh, is that, is that we got? I'm, doing, sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to find that. some uh, <laughs> some theme to these mad names. Um, so he ambushes um, Muthan. One night he turned up in Terso, seized the house Muthan was in, and set fire to it. Muthan was asleep in an upstairs room, and as he jumped off the balcony, Thorkel took a swing at his neck, slicing off his head. <laughs> so, took a swing at the neck, and the outcome was no more heads. Exactly. I love the way these things are written. Classic Viking. It is brilliant. Duncan, again undeterred, raises a massive army from across Scotland and indeed troops from Ireland, right, according yeah, to the saga. Um, much larger force, and they fight at what's called Torf Ness, or Tarbot Ness. Uh, but once again, unfortunately, the battle didn't go very well. Bit of a routing for yeah. the Scots, and Duncan is chased by Thorfinn's army all the way back down, and apparently as far as Fife, Thorfinn basically goes. It's pretty far down, yeah. pretty far down, and Thorfinn conquering as he goes, and then classic Viking um, does a bit of slaughtering of all the men in the town he stops at, takes a lot of people slaves, and then when in Rome goes home. <laughs> um, I for a while thought maybe Duncan was trying out an alter ego, like he's failing under the name Duncan. So, <laughs> in the same way Beyonce is Sasha Fierce, he becomes Carl Anderson, and it still fails. I mean, he's really bad, isn't he? Yeah, now, obviously, the um, the footnote to all of this, of course, is that, like much of Slaga literature, it's pretty hard to verify mm. um, this these courses of events. It may not be Duncan... It may not actually be anybody at all. It's incredibly unlikely that he got all the way down to five, even if he did have some kind of encounter. 
But so also, so we don't know. It's got the wrong name. Yes. Is this battle mentioned anywhere else? Not in Scottish, Irish, or Saxon sources. So it could just be completely made up by someone in the pay of the Vikings to. Well, I mean, it's a Viking mm. source, but a few hundred years later. So it may well be nonsense. Well, it's a lovely story. I mean, it's gory, isn't it? If you like um, all of that, do check out the Saga Thing podcast where they review, um, they'll put the sagas of the Icelanders on trial and it's kind of similar to us. They go through it and then they review it. Lots of cool stuff like Best Bloodshed or Notable Witticisms, stuff like that. Um, Lots of fun. But we do have some solid stuff that we can definitely um, attribute to Duncan. None of it very good. Blame him for, yeah. First off, Durham in 1040. We can't blame him for that. It's a lovely town. Well, but we can blame him for his inability to be able to yes. capture it. So, as he said, he was continuing his father's policy of trying to capture this very prosperous city and the territory of Benicia. It's probably also a revenge attack for what Edwulf had been doing yeah. in Cumbria right. a couple of years earlier. And England's divided. It's a great chance to nab a bit of territory while nobody's looking. He probably raises a very large army. How large is very large in these days? Uh, you don't know, it's hard to say. But, yeah. I mean, we assume that there would have been some kind of involvement from Seward, his ally in York, oh, yeah. who, of course, is also an enemy, also wants to gain a bit. So you can imagine they both invade, yeah. split it between them. Easy. Nice bit Have a lovely time, yeah. So Durham, as we said, it's a new city, only 995 that is um, said to have been actually founded. But it grows very quickly because it has the relics of St Cuthbert. Yeah. So it becomes very, very prosperous. Powerful tourist board. Exactly. And it's also, if you've ever been to Durham or see like a shot of it from the air, it is effectively um, a city, a fortified city yeah. on a hill on an island. Yeah. Which isn't the easiest of things to attack. Mm. Now, Duncan may well have come along and been ready for a big battle, but probably he would have just found that the doors were shut and they had to besiege mm. it instead. Mm. And it didn't go very well. It probably even more fortified than it would have been in 1006 when Malcolm attacked. Because they'd had 40 years of exactly. issue, yeah. So poor old uh, Duncan gets seen off, not even by you know a big army or a big leader. It's really just the citizens defending the city. Say, so we're closed. Yeah. Come back another throwing, day. Throwing sticks at him. Um, apparently the retreat was quite confused, resulting heavy casualty to his infantry and his cavalry. And um, it's a really devastating blow to Duncan's credibility as king. He is rubs. And then, of course, not that long later, also in 1040, he goes off to Pitgaveni and gets killed by Macbeth. What a plonker. Now, it's probably a smaller army at this point, not least because most of it had been killed at Durham. Yeah. So this was probably a smaller kind of private retinue that just sort of went in for a quick attack while Macbeth wasn't ready. Mm. Kill him off wipe out the opposition yeah. and then he's stable and I don't want to hear any more about Durham he shouts <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, he also may just have been effectively like a bully that had been beaten by one person and he wanted to find somebody else to kick yeah yeah that is that's classic bully isn't it so off he goes probably would have arrived by boat as it would have been the quickest bit to travel yeah um, which again you know I suppose like that Thorf in the Mighty that in t- talked about a naval mm. warfare so mm. it probably is true that Duncan would have been seaborne at some point um, then would have come inland to Pitcaverney. As you said, probably small numbers, so both leaders would have been in the thick of the fighting, as often seems to be the case with the Scots. Mm. We don't know exactly, but the suggestion is that Macbeth personally killed or at least fatally wounded Duncan. Yeah. Which is quite cool that we've got these two, well, the king and the man who would be king, fighting in the thick of it. 
That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool, but and it would be very good if he had actually <laughs> was actually any good. Yeah, that is the sort of fatal flaw yeah. in the awesomeness of Duncan's military escapades. I mean, imagine it wasn't even much of a fight. No, <laughs> I think he just probably went, "Oh, aha, we meet a," and that was it. I imagine it's almost probably like in um, Indiana Jones. When um, there's the guy with the samurai sword oh, yeah. that stuff and he just shoots him. Yeah, exactly. It's probably equivalent to that. Yeah, he's doing all this fancy stuff with his spear. <laughs> and, yeah, just gets the old the old arrow in the eye trick. Mm. Was it an arrow? Well, for Harold II it was. For for Duncan, do we, do we know oh, how Oh, we don't know was? how. Okay. We don't know how. Mm. So, that is it for Duncan I and battliness. I mean, he does have battliness. He's getting right in there. He does have battliness. He's he's seen the st- he's seen our spreadsheet. Yeah. He thought that's where I can make some easy points. Yeah. But unfortunately, mm. he doesn't realize that's a hard category. It's better yeah. to steer clear of that <laughs> and go for the longevity because yeah. one really counteracts the other. Avoid the battlefield and head straight to the nunnery, Mr. Duncan. <laughs> yeah. It's the nunnery for you. Um, zero. It has to be a zero, doesn't it? I mean, as we said, it, it was good that he, he gave himself opportunity to score points here, but yeah. failed pretty spectacularly. Bad. And at a point where we've got the divisions in England, it's all a bit confused in Northumbria. He had, it was on a plate. Great chance. For, a, for the right person, and you, my friend, are not him. Zero for Mavaliness. Scandal. Now, we did say... Straight to the nunnery with you. Yes. Um, Would he have taken advantage of that? Well, uh, if only. Oh. Unfortunately, I don't have any record of him doing any such thing. No, whatsoever. and I haven't dinged my bell once. Well, I dinged my bell once <laughs> exactly. accidentally. Um, yeah. I, I, I've got no evidence of anything. Um, maybe it might be seem a bit mean. <laughs> That's nothing. That He's I mean, in one place and he goes to fight in another place, but yeah. I, I have no actual no. scandal here. Hopeless. Could be no, zero it's again. Be zero. Subjectivity. Well, we have some very positive assessments of Duncan the First. From who? Here is the Burkhan's prophecy. Was he a mate of his by any chance? Well, some some of the medieval chroniclers do appear to have a favourable impression of Duncan's rule. He will be an old man, lasting well. Joy to Scotland, which he will take. But short is the time in which she will enjoy him. Five years and a half. A bright space over Scotland in sovereignty. Well, I suppose what we have neglected mm. are those four years. What a what a time that could have been. Well, well what a time it, it what a quiet time it was. I mean, maybe exactly. that's what was needed. A bit of just everyone calming down. It's the problem with the news is that people don't report all the good stuff that's yeah. going on. Look at four perfectly yeah. happy years. Mm. Nothing much going wrong. But with nothing much going on, you can't say any good stuff. Well, Walter Bauer, right. author of the Scotty Chronicle, yeah. he's got some stuff to say he's about what he's doing. Nothing worthy of mention happened in the kingdom <laughs> during this short time of Duncan's reign because he enjoyed secure peace with everyone, yeah. both foreigners and dwellers in the kingdom. He observed the praiseworthy custom of traversing all the provinces of his kingdom once a year to comfort graciously with his presence his own peaceful people. It was his practice to correct abuses unlawfully inflicted on the lower classes by the more powerful, to prevent unjust and irregular imposts on the part of his officials, to crush the wickedness of brigands and other criminals with a kind of judicious severity, and to calm down the internal disputes of his subjects.' 
This good quality in particular was inborn in him, that he never allowed any discord to arise among the nobles in the kingdom. Oh, that's very good. Excellent. He's a perfectly good king. He didn't believe rumours that there was a plot to kill him by these nefarious people in Murray because he was so good-natured. Maybe he's a bit naive, but oh, he's a good man. Well, if he had carried on these four years, because it's presumably the end of this the, this quiet period, that he tries to have a go at Durham. Mm-hmm. So he just didn't realise where his strengths were. His strengths were doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he tries, it all unravels, and he starts to lose his alliances, and he gets, gets in the neck, doesn't he? Now, so these are some of the medieval chroniclers, and we've got... Um, others as well that are very praiseworthy of him and hence mm. I suppose why Shakespeare takes his positive impression and ages him uh, well yes and makes him old Yeah, but uh, not everyone is convinced that Duncan I would have been a great monarch Me. as a ruler yes it doesn't quite tie up with everything else that we've heard no. this picture of this incredibly sage and noble man um, he probably seems to have just been a very ineffectual monarch a couple of disastrous military escapades reign ends pretty soon that's not That's very it. impressive. No. Historian Neil Oliver says he was a young man who had been promoted well beyond his competence. Well, yeah, certainly militarily. Mm. Now, Ralph Hollinshead, the source for Shakespeare about you know all the stuff about the witches and the being murdered in the bed and mm. all this kind of thing, he says the beginning of Duncan's reign was very quiet and peaceable, without any notable trouble, like Walter Bower. But after it was perceived how negligent he was in punishing offenders, many misruled persons took occasion thereof to trouble the peace and quiet state of the Commonwealth by seditious commotions which first had their beginnings in this wise. Because he wasn't doing anything in this quiet period. Yes. So effectively what Walter Bauer did was he read that first bit and then he just went through all the other bits and just put in the word not or (laughs) was challenging (laughs) the misrule. Yeah. So Shakespeare seems to have taken from Holland's head all the stuff about the witches, all the stuff about being murdered in the bed, but left out the stuff about Duncan being a bit ineffectual and rubbish. Yeah. And thus venerates him because he's got to be good order, he's got to be this positive, benevolent figure. Yeah, to counterbalance against Macbeth. So even the source for Shakespeare saying about how evil Macbeth was said, to be honest, Duncan was a bit rubbish. Right, yeah, but Shakespeare just needed it to work as a play. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's robs. He's really poor. I mean, we've we, we've got four quiet years, I suppose. That's the positive thing for Duncan I. We have four quiet years in which apparently nothing awful happens. Well, four quiet years... Um, we're subjectivity, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so that's good if you want to be a subject, but ultimately... The other sources say that those four years were just boiling up tensions and he wasn't putting to any of that to rest. And that actually there was probably a lot of low-level crime and unrest and bad stuff going on that he wasn't addressing because maybe he's just lazy. Yeah, and he wasn't actually doing a thing. It's not mm. good, it's just nothing. Which probably shows how bad he is that we're trying to interpret <laughs> yeah. nothing as something good. Yeah. So I think on balance... Aren't going zero. Afraid for Duncan the First, that is another zero. He wow, is, is that, he is that's the first. That's the first zero zero zero. Uh, for the Scots, uh, oh, uh, hashtag remember I. Oh God, how did we do every time? That honestly wasn't set up. We just <laughs> scrolled up on the um, on the <laughs> he spreadsheet. Was one too high. Oh dear. Longevity. Well, he does score here. Oh, uh, what are we on? On longevity. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, he rules from ten thirty four to ten forty. 
Now we do actually have the the dates of death of Malcolm II and Duncan II, so therefore yeah. we can be precise about it. So it's five point seven five years. I'm almost disappointed. Which is a reign of one, which is a longevity score when put through the patyometer of yeah. one point nine nine. Right. So he's nearly got two points. Nearly got two. Dynasty, not the broke. Well, here. Yeah. All right. Ding, ding, ding. Three children that we know of. Okay. Sons. Oh, well done. Um, two of whom will actually challenge for the throne yeah. in the future. And another one, Mal Muir, who's the Earl of Atoll. Less certain exactly about him, but the theory is that he didn't contest the throne with his brothers, and in return for which he became a sort of powerful figure, the Earl of Atoll. Yeah. Right. But either way, that's three surviving sons, and that becomes a score of 6.67 for Dynasty. That's pretty good, actually, given what happened before. Which gives him a total score of uh, 8.66, which is obviously just the longevity and the dynasty added together. Yeah, um, and I am remembering Hashtag Remember Other than Hashtag Remember that is the, is the lowest score we've had yeah. thus far. Right. But, of course, that doesn't mean that he isn't still eligible for the great prize. Has he got that star quality? Has he got that great achievement, that lasting legacy? Does he have the... Rex Factor! Definitely not. And the logic of last week where you need a bad king, sometimes <laughs> balance out, and the other one was stellar bad. Yeah. Although we've had people on Facebook saying that actually they thought it was rather good, but oh, get involved. To, uh, um, but not bad as in low-scoring hopeless. Yeah. This is really, really just... Smelly, smelly bad. I mean, it, yeah, it puts in context Malcolm II, who's there for almost 30 years. Um, that actually, you know, you do, it's, it's not easy to be king for 30 years. No. If you're a bit rubbish, then you'll get found out mm. in Scotland. And Duncan the first clearly is pretty rubbish. Yeah, he had four years of, of everyone thinking, well, he's a king, maybe he's pretty good. And then he tried yeah. to do something and went, it's like the Emperor's new guy. You know, he's <laughs> rubbish. He's properly rubbish. If we can just get rid of him. <laughs> And indeed they do. So mm. Duncan the First is a short reign, and in which he seems to have done absolutely nothing other than invade Durham, get defeated, go straight off to Murray, and get killed by Macbeth. Brilliant. And that's it. So yeah, it's got to be a no, hasn't yeah. it, for the Rex yeah. Factor? Duncan the First does not have the Rex Factor. He certainly doesn't. Have, he doesn't have anything. No. He's got three kids. Yeah. And defeats. Yeah. <laughs> So, if you want to get in touch with us about Duncan the First, you can do so. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at RexActPod, like us on Facebook, and join in the discussion mm-hmm. there. Email us RexActPodcast at hotmail.com and if you go into RexActWordpress.com, there'll be blogs about Duncan the First and all the other Scottish monarchs and all the family trees, all the family trees, and you can also complete a poll which will just ask you whether he deserves the Rex Factor, and you say yes, no, or maybe, and we'll see at the end of the series whether or not people agree with us. And you can do that for all the previous Scottish kings or queens, if you haven't listened. Mm. It's just kings. Um, and for all the all the kings and queens of England, mm. um, that's going to just run and run. It's yeah, just yeah. leave those open. Now, if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes. Yes, that's very nice. Very, very nice. nice. Yeah. Um, if you would... Um, so it's a free podcast, obviously, and it's going to remain a free podcast. Yeah. But if you would like to... Uh, help us manage our costs mm. and show you support. You can make a one-off donation on PayPal. Thank you. Follow the links on uh, rexlatter.wordpress.com. Or you can engage in crowdfunding, whereby you make a monthly payment 
and uh, what we call joining the Privy Council. Now, what an esteemed band of men and women that is. Exactly. And we've now upped uh, our game a little bit in terms of what we're offering here. So we've put in various levels of donations for which there are rewards. Mm. So if you do uh, one dollar, you get a mention on the podcast. This is a month, these monthly payments. Two dollars, you get a thanks and a comment read out on the podcast. Five dollars, you get, when available, a Rex Factor mug. Yeah, which is coming soon. Yeah, we're doing some work on that. $10 a month, we will write a blog on the subject of your interest. And I could write one if you'd like, but, you know, if you want some insight, you can always ask Graham. Although you are opening yourself up for uh, the issue there of uh, implying that people can specify who has to do that. Ah, ah. Or for $15 a month, which is, of course, very, very generous, but if you uh, donate $15 a month, then you can request a special podcast episode. Mm. Uh, on the subject of your choice that we will then produce. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we've got quite a few new members of uh, the Rexfact Privy Council. Can I just clear something up? Yes. Dollars? Yes, because um, uh, the way that it's set up, it just it has to be in dollars. Um, so we've got some new members to the Privy Council. Welcome. Who are they? Uh, Mark Jackson. Arise. YBPDF. Sorry? It's just a username, so I have don't, unfortunately don't know who that is. Isn't that... Not, where have you, have you got that written down here? PCYBPDF. Oh, uh, no, you mean Sir Pesidabuff. <laughs> yeah, Sir Pesidabuff. Cameron Brown, Stephen Payne, Jamie Highway, S. Andrew Diani, Mike McNamara, and Megan Jell. Well, look at you all wonderful, generous people standing tall amongst the masses. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for all your support. Now, last time, Malcolm the Second's episode, we mentioned that we've got various goals for money that we're trying to raise things for. Now, the first thing on that list was um, that if we got to $75 a month, Ali would um, appear in a video doing penance for his um, yeah. treatment of Edgar the Peaceable by rowing a representative of Edgar. Yeah. Uh, now, as it happened, we uh, very, very quickly <laughs> passed the target for that. So thus, that will happen. We will, uh, at some point in the future, have a video for you mm, yes. doing penance yeah, to Edgar the Peaceable. There are plans afoot, mm. are there not? Yeah. Um, so you'll see that soon enough, because that will require some editing too. That will require a little bit of editing a little bit of work. If you have any suggestions about other things we might try and raise money for, then uh, mm. do let us know. Now, we've had uh, some messages. I love these. In particular, some from our new Privy Councillors. Yep. Mark Jackson says he's finally caught up. Thank you for making my walks to work edutaining. Oh, also, please consider doing a special episode on a fictional king, maybe Arthur or Theoden, where you both switch roles. Theoden? Uh, Theoden, of course, from uh, Lord of the Rings. <sighs> Oh my goodness, please, Graham. I'd rather do Arthur. And this is suggesting the way where you switch roles, so thus you'd have to do the research on that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I could just make it up. Oh, no. Yeah, like a comic relief special or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if uh, if you'd like to uh, anybody donate $15 a month, you can uh, ask yeah. us for uh, an Ali led <laughs> <laughs> special on King Theoden. Mm. Well, is uh, he a goodie or a baddie? Um, uh, he's a goodie. He's the one that starts off um, under a spell and being really uh, old and yeah. then comes out of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Stephen Payne, if you guys do invest in a new microphone and soundproofing and what have you, could you please occasionally insert a quietish siren in the background anyway? <laughs> I'd miss it entirely if it disappeared. <laughs> Very good. 
Uh, Jamie Highway says, I'm looking forward to the official Rex Factor pilgrimage to Fontrevaux Abbey to pay our respects to the great Henry II and later to the resting place of whoever wins the Scottish one. I'm well up for that. Actually. So maybe That'd that could be, be one of our, our goals. So, yeah, where uh, is that? I mean, France. But France. I'm not actually sure exactly left. where it is in France. <laughs> I assume it's left-ish. Yeah, I should think so, yeah. But that's where it uh, originated from. So maybe that can be one of our goals to get some uh, yeah. <laughs> train tickets to Train tickets on the Eurostar. And we'll, we'll do a little video blog. Yeah, I love oh, it. What a great idea. And Mike McNamara says, In the name of Blessed Dunstan, keep up the good work. Oh, good. Uh, now, we've had quite a few uh, messages about the last episode, Malcolm II. Mm. And as you said, there's been a bit of debate about whether or not Malcolm deserved the Rex Factor. Or, even if he did deserve it, did he? D- we were giving it to him on the grounds of being so wonderfully bad. Mm. It was such a wonderful baddie. Yes. Um, but people say, no, we've interpreted that wrong. Mm. Well, so um, on Facebook, Hannah Crompton uh, said, ooh, controversial <laughs> verdict. Brenda Wass said, um, verdict, oh, that's a hard one. A bad man, but a good king? Not sure, although she does see our point. Steve, at Bad Lord Byron on Twitter, said, don't think Malcolm II deserved it. If he was in the Saxon King series, one, he wouldn't have made it. If he was in the which the Saxon, Saxon series, so the first series that we did, because he he says that because they're around at the same time. Yeah, so if we're comparing Malcolm II to the likes of Athelstan, Alfred the Great, and, and not Scot- uh, Saxon, obviously, but Canute, obviously, is contemporary. Mm. Um, which is an interesting point, and I suppose we do now have the last three Rex Factor winners have all been under the thumb of a Scot- an English Rex Factor winner. So we had Constantine the Second, who lost at Brunanburg to Athelstan. Yeah. We had Kenneth the Second, who had to row Edgar the Peaceful, and yeah. now we had Malcolm the Second, mm. who supposedly mm. did some. Well, kind I of suppose thing. maybe that's because, in the face of um, a really powerful enemy, it reminds me of um, uh, William the Penguin. Yes. Against Louis. Louis the Fourteenth. And uh, clearly more powerful king, but but yeah, it's about stepping up to that to that challenge. Maybe it's also you've got you need to acknowledge the difference between the situation in England and Scotland. England's bigger, it's more centralised, it's a lot more stable, mm. and maybe those sort of kings are maybe almost more like generals sometimes in some of the battles. The Scots, though, it's definitely much more almost tribal. Yeah, um, it's less centralised and it's much more violent. So we just a little look at um, the record of uh, the last few monarchs. We had Duncan's killed in battle, Malcolm II maybe died of wounds, Kenneth III killed in battle, Constantine III killed in battle, Kenneth II assassinated, Cullen assassinated, Duff assassinated, Indulf killed in battle, Malcolm I killed in battle. I mean, almost every monarch we've done... All of them, apart from the first two. Yeah, there's only two... And even one, even then, the, first, the second one was maybe said to have had some kind of damage. So almost yeah, every wow. monarch we've had has been killed in battle or assassinated. Mm. So it's a much more violent time. So to rule for thirty years, yeah, we didn't mention that. That is a real achievement, isn't it? Mm. Um, now some people were in support. Um, Lord James at Evil Overlord six 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 said he's concerned Malcolm II is going to win overall just by killing all the other competition. Mm. Hashtag Watch Out Ali and G Man. Hashtag Destroyer. So you can imagine, if they're all in the green room, Malcolm II is maybe like that one fish in the tank that just eats all the eggs. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Just this big fat one yeah. that's left at the end. Chad Burns on Facebook says, Winner! Hashtag bad guys finish first. Hello, Chad. Ariane Rana Adair Nichols, also Facebook, said, Yes, he's a great baddie. Sheena Nichols said he was a ruthless so-and-so, but definitely a Rex Factor winner. Ashanti on WordPress said, Anyone nicknamed the Destroyer is not someone to mess with. Total Rex Factor material there. 
the thing is, we've had a lot. I mean, I don't mean to lose your momentum there, but mm. we've had some fantastic names, and they haven't all lived up to it. Mm, but the destroyer, he really did. He really did. Peter Nordenstrom says, I see him as a more effective version of King John of England, vengeful and cruel leader that actually manages to control or defeat his enemies. Mm. That's a good point. Stephen Payne of uh, Preview Council of Fame. Uh, Sir Stephen. On WordPress. I think him less bad as such and more of a one-man revolution. Most of his battles were small affairs with a smallish retinue and for the most part the assassination seemed pretty common on all sides. He was just better at it. He ended the dynasty and gutted every branch of it, but it wasn't just a fit of madness. There was also a vision of a less divided monarchy and country. It's just a pity he hadn't invented PR. Yeah, had they invented PR yet? I don't think they had. Mm -hmm. Now, there's also one last point, an email from Barry Lynch, who said he was gobsmacked um, when we suggested that it was some kind of novelty to have a bad man winning the Rex Factor. Really? Well, he was suggesting that you fail to mention archetypal baddies Edward I... Oh, give over. ...warmonger, thief and general pantomime villain, and Henry VIII, homicidal maniac, um, Natalie at least, <laughs> our previous recipients of the award. Malcolm was a nasty piece of work for sure, but he looks like a choir boy compared to Edward sacking Berwick and Henry slaughtering wives and relatives left, right and centre. He, got, he has a point there. I mean, I disagree with him totally about Edward, <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean. I suppose the difference with Malcolm II was it did seem a bit more personal. Like, Henry VIII has got, you know, is this faux judicial process and getting yeah. everybody off. Edward I, he's kind of conquering rebels, as he sees yeah. it. Malcolm II, it does seem a bit more kind of first-hand going around and literally murdering people. The, it's state-sponsored terrorism. If he mm. had Polonium but he is, And he is sponsoring himself to do it. Yeah, he would... He he's would like, I'm be... just giving, saying, please give him <laughs> me and I will kill everybody. Crowdsourcing some murder. He'd yeah. be dropping Polonium 210 in flagons of me, left, right and centre, and he'd be holding it himself. He, I don't think yeah. he'd even need to outsource it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good point. All good points. So, if you've got any uh, messages about, as you say, about Duncan or any of our previous episodes as well, do mm. please send those into our various social media. Yeah. Next time, we will be reviewing one that I think a lot of people are probably looking forward to, mm. Macbeth. Then we'll be having a look in more detail at Shakespeare's Macbeth mm. and then looking at what he really did and uh, assessing who the real Macbeth was and whether he deserves the Rex Factor. That sounds interesting, given the given the flaws we've found so far. Exactly. There are one or two errors <laughs> that we've discovered, but who's to say that the rest is also nonsense? Not me, certainly. Well, we'll find out next time. <laughs> Cheerio. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.